Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Naughty Malt Podcast. I'm Jamie and this week I am joined by UFC commentator, presenter, producer and writer John Gooden. It's been a long time since the last episode so I really appreciate everyone's patience between episodes and for the continued support. It really does mean a lot that you took the time to download this episode so thanks so much. We're going to jump right into it. As I mentioned this week I am speaking to John Gooden who is a UFC commentator. I'm a huge UFC fan so it's super cool to get a chance to speak to John and hear his vegan story. Like always just stick around at the end of the episode so you can find out where to find the guest online or contact myself and thanks again for downloading this episode. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Naughty Malt Podcast. This week I'm joined by UFC commentator, presenter, producer and writer John Gooden. John, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to this for a little while. So it's all good to be here. That's cool, man. It's really cool to have you on here. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm a massive UFC fan, so this is really cool to get you on here. Um, so there's obviously so much I want to cover with you um, from UFC chat to your journey to veganism. Uh, but just going into what's going on in UFC just now, uh, UFC 222 just passed um, with Brian Ortega finishing Frank Edgar. Uh, did you see that? Could you ever see that kind of happening in that fashion? Because it's kind of the last thing that most people expected. Yeah, I think that there are new stars being born every week in the UFC. So I've, I, I now am really not surprised by anything. Mixed martial arts is such a difficult sport to predict. And there are so many ways to win and lose that, yes, I, I can see that happening. I think Brian Ortega is, was, or was one of those stars in the making and now has become that guy as the number one contender. His Jiu-jitsu is so good. I was particularly impressed with the strides we've seen in his boxing. I think he's looked really nice in his last couple of fights. But um, yeah, it's kind of hard to see Frankie lose. I'm such a big Frankie Edgar fan. He's done and contributed. He's done so much and contributed so much to the sport of mixed martial arts, and particularly his time with the UFC. That um, it's hard not to champion the guy. But you know. The best man has to win, and I've always taken that that standpoint. And this time it was Brian Ortega, so I guess I'm hoping that we'll see him fight for the title uh, for the next for the next shot for that featherweight gold. Yeah, and that's what's kind of looking like the way it's going to go. That Ortega versus Holloway uh, once Holloway's healthy again, and I think he was yeah. kind of hinting that UFC 226. Or just kind of actually saying on his Twitter, UFC 226. Right. Uh, which is a super exciting fight. Uh, what do you think fans see in that, get to see in that fight? Oh, lots. I mean, Max Holloway offers so many threats now. He really does. Yeah. So much experience for a young man. I think he was earning his stripes in the game, in the UFC. He was like 19 when he debuted in the UFC, which is crazy young, which means that he would have trodden the boards and excelled on the local scene and was promoted to fight under the brightest lights. So we've really seen him develop as a man as well as a martial artist. And his game now is so, so good. I've tried to integrate a couple of things that he does into my own sparring and I get it so, so wrong, which just goes to, I, I should never compare myself against any UFC fighter, let alone a champion. But what I'm saying is there are the, the layers and levels, even what you see is achievable. It's not that easy. It really isn't. And Holloway has beaten one of the greatest featherweights of all time in Jose Aldo. And he beat him twice. twice and yeah. he kind of done the same thing to him twice. So there's no fluke there. The, the kid is amazing. I think he's great for the sport. 
I like what he says. I like what he stands for. I like the whole Hawaiian connection. He's fun, man. He's, yeah. he's enjoyable to watch. And Brian Ortega brings something fresh as well. That, that Mexican surfer, very much Gracie Jiu-Jitsu uh, way of fighting. I think it's, it's really interesting. And yeah. we're going to see everything. We're going to see a bit of everything in that. I definitely think that this is going to go to the ground and do not sleep on Holloway's ground game. It's fantastic. Yeah. So it's going to be a really exciting yeah. fight if it does indeed happen. Yeah, definitely. I'm really looking looking forward to it if it does happen. Uh, sticking with UFC, UFC 222, uh, Chris Cyborg, can you see anybody defeating her anytime soon? Because I thought if anybody could do it, Holly Holm had a good chance. Well, she did do kind of better than most of her opponents. Uh, Cyborg just didn't seem to be in any sort of trouble. I'd like to see her fight Amanda Nunes. Yeah. I think that's a fight um, that will happen in the future. But right now, it, it is difficult. Megan Anderson is someone, again, who I'd like to see her fight, a genuine 145-pound fighter. Uh, she's calling for it, so let her have the fight. Not many people ask to fight Chris Cyborg. Yeah. So if there are any, if there are any contenders or takers out there, then you know, so long as they've positioned themselves in the rankings given the opportunity chris cyborg is so such a special athlete and i yes she's physically very strong etc but technically we saw once again in her last fight she's so technically savvy yeah and skyer is no joke you know these these women that she's fighting are former champions and she is just dominant she showed yeah. patience against holly home she didn't come in with that shooter box attitude so she's changing things up all the time and adding to her game and showing different mental strides as well so yeah again I, you know she, she's been huge for female mixed martial arts and she continues to be yeah i think yeah exactly she will continue to be and um ufc uh, london's coming up this weekend but first jump into the ufc 223 um obviously a super stack card where khabib going against tony ferguson which is one of the most exciting fights of the year um i don't know if you do give predictions or anything like that but what way do you can you see that fight going and do you believe it kind of lives up to the hype yeah i think as a purist and a, and a fan of everything that goes on around the periphery but i love the arts i love the fights and this is a real interesting styles matchup because both fighters have such excellent ground skills but they come from very different styles yeah. so we're going to see how the 10th planet jiu-jitsu system uh, fares against judo sambo wrestling of a, a Russian, a Dagestani, which is, he just, they just bring very, very different, very different types of fighting. And it's going to be interesting, really interesting. I, I find it difficult to see past that more kind of orthodox boxing, wrestling, punch you till you give up kind of style that Khabib has. And he does it so, so well, yeah. better than most of the people out there. Hence why he's got, like an unbeaten record over, was it 25, 26 fights? 25, I believe, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then you have Tony Ferguson that does crazy stuff, really dynamic movement patterns, unpredictable. He's willing to try stuff. I hate to think what it, or I'd love to see what he looks like in the gym because 
some of the things that he's doing in fights is the kind of stuff that it would take me a lot of time to get the courage to even try in the gym. Yeah. He's doing that in front of millions of fans. So you never know what to expect with Tony, which means Khabib doesn't know what to expect. And yeah. that makes a lot of X factors. So, so yeah, it's, it's a big fight. The lightweight division has always been a very interesting one. It's super deep. The talent level, the speed, the power, the creativity, it all plays in. And, and that makes for a spectacular, a spectacular fight. Yeah, definitely. I'm, re- I'm really looking forward to it. I think this is maybe like the, the fourth time to try to put the fight together or so. Yeah, that's um, right. A lot of people are, and a lot of people are believing that Connor's not getting officially stripped until the fighters have kind of weighed in and we know the fight's definitely going to happen. I don't know how much you can say being a UFC employee, but do you believe this to be the case? I honestly know probably less than what other people do right now because my mind has been on uh, <laughs> London and a few other bits, but I'm not privy to that kind of information, yeah. particularly being over in the UK. I don't even get to go into the London office. So I hear what you guys hear. And um, we'll see how it all unfolds. But it sounds to me like Mr. McGregor is pretty motivated to come back and stir things up again, keep that belt, defend it, whatever it needs to be. But having those two guys battle it out sets up the winner to face McGregor perfectly. Yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing the outcome of that, that fight. Um, another massive fight on that card is a Rose versus Joanna. Um I was in shock the first time when I watched the first fight at 2.17. I really seen Joanna taking Rose to a decision. So my jaw just dropped when Rose finished at Joanna to strikes. Um, Joanna said that a, a, like a weight cut contributed to the way she performed. So uh, do you believe this to be a factor? And what do you think Joanna has to do to get the title back? Well, we can. Only, I, I would believe Joanna. I actually know Joanna quite well. I've been out to Poland a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a great deal of respect for her. I like her on a personal level. I think she's she's super cool, a, a really lovely woman. And if she says that there was something wrong with the weight cut, there are some videos online as well where we can see it. It is tough for her to make one fifteen. She fired her her or that the the group of people that were helping her make the weights. So her nutritionists they got fired. So that indicates that there was an issue. But I have to say, and this is removing all of my personal sentiments towards Joanna, I've been saying for a couple of years that Rose Namajunas was the biggest threat to Joanna's title. And I said that because Rose is a true mixed martial artist. She brings a game together where she chains everything together so very well but I didn't expect her to knock Joanna out. I have to say that. I thought yeah. that she would go through the motions of striking to wrestling to submission. And if she didn't get a finish, then she might win on the scorecards. Possibly. it was. I was just making a strong case for her. But I didn't expect her to get the knockout. So, it again, yeah. it makes for a great rematch. I'm looking forward to it. Straw weights give you so much action. Sort of bang for buck, if you like. And... Yes, Joanna will make the lead up to that fight super interesting as well, believe me. Yeah, definitely. I'm really looking forward to that fight. Other than the fights that we've talked about on um, uh, 223, uh, what other fights are you excited about on that card? Well, now you got me because I'm so into uh, London right now. I've taken everything else out of my mind. Um, so can I come back to you on that one? <laughs> I'd have to take yeah, a look at the fight. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm just single-minded on London right now. 
Yeah, of course. Yeah, and going into uh, UFC London, um, Verdun versus Volkov, both actually having similar experience in MMA when it comes to like records or so. Um, obviously, Volkov's a lot younger than Verdun. Uh, I'm a Verdun fan, so I'm rooting for him. But uh, what is, do you think Verdun has to, need to be cautious of when fighting Volkov and Kenny vice versa? Well, Volkov is very tall, and it's not often that you get to even spar with guys with those kind of physical attributes. Volkov also brings a lot of high-level experience, so that can't be overlooked. Stefan Struve found that out, and yeah, I think this is a this is a, quite an interesting matchup for that division. If Volkov wins, he's he's probably going to switch places, or you, you know, or certainly insert himself into the top five, if not the top three. So it's a massive fight for him. Um, the only thing that I think Volkov might have to look out for is the occasion. You're fighting a former UFC champion. You're, you're being given the opportunities that you've worked hard for and you're achieving them. But you've got to believe it. You've got to believe that you belong there and that you can be the champion. So yeah, I've just looked at a few of his interviews where he's, where he's spoken about big opportunities before and you know the kind of pressure that that brings. It's a good thing. He, so he's certainly yeah. not hiding anything. But we just need to make sure, or he needs to make sure that the occasion doesn't overcome him. And, and let's yeah. also uh, take into account Verdum's ground game, which is utterly ridiculous. Yes, I believe that Volkov should avoid that at all costs. Just yeah. why would you go to the ground uh, with Verdum, who is arguably yeah. one of the best heavyweight grapplers that we've seen in the UFC? Yeah, definitely. And there's obviously a lot of British fighters on this card obviously been in London. You've been in, involved in the MMA world for a long time now. What's it like for you getting to see and be a part of MMA grow in the UK to what it is today? It's very special. And I think that's where I perhaps differ a little bit from some of the other commentators uh, on, on big shows because I've, I've actually grown up with these people on this card. So I've, I've been around amateur fighters who have no records and things. I've had to go out and search for my information. I've visited gyms. I've trained with people. And looking at the card, you know, Brad Scott is someone who I'd commentated on back mm -hmm. in, what, maybe yep. 2011, perhaps. Stevie Ray, similar sort of time. Leon Edwards, I started commentating when I uh, got to the UFC. But Jimmy Manuel, I was watching him down in East London many, many years ago saw him come up on the scene. So it's really quite nice to see the progression and to be, if I kind of feel like I am in a, in a little way sort of part of their journey because I'm able to lend my voice to their fight. So when they're yeah. watching them back, I think they might, so they might hate that. Sorry guys, if that is the case. But um, for me, it's very special, especially when we see their progression on the world stage. And, and that's what this is, you know, particularly yeah. when you hit, the main card spot, co-main, main events. And, uh, and I'm lucky enough to be able to add some, you know, broadcasting value to their performances. Yeah, definitely. And like, it must be like amazing feeling getting to see his fights so close, getting to call them. Uh, other than actual calling the fights, what's your favourite part of fight week? I guess talking with the fighters. My, I see my job as storytelling. So I am genuinely fascinated with all, all sorts of things from the human condition, martial arts, uh, sports science, 
a whole range of different stuff which really plays into my commentary style so I, yeah. I pretty much start off with with the walkout which sets the scene you know who is this person if we haven't seen them before what are they like what kind of headline types of topics exist in their life that would make someone attach themselves to their journey why would they want to continue to follow this person beyond just the 15 maximum 15 minutes of fighting that we're going to see so i want to try and and give people opportunities to like someone or indeed hate them because there are certain things that like if a if a fighter is particularly into hunting then a load of vegans are not going to like him or her yeah. too much so something like that but then i'm fascinated by what differences they might have have made in their fight camps if they've trained anywhere different if they're eating differently if their strength and conditioning programs particularly different and just I'm going to put it in there now. I'm looking at the card and there are more and more people that are turning to a plant-based diet, which is fascinating. And I know for sure that there are two guys that are currently fueling their bodies uh, on a vegan diet. I think there might be a third coming into this one, which really is well. unprecedented. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's very, very interesting stuff. So, And it really is, is quite cool to see, um, especially if they're successful on it as well. So just little things like that, and then having those conversations with them, taking in all of that information, trying to find the real good golden nuggets, putting that into my notes, and then I, I'm essentially their mouthpiece. That's what I'm there to do, as well as obviously um, take people through the broadcast that are watching. I'm there to tell the story of the fighter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I do think you do a great job at that. And uh, talking about veganism, like switching to veganism, I know nutrition played a part in your vegan journey, but how long have you been vegan now and how did that decision come about for you? About five years now. And mm -hmm. I, I injured my back through training. I'd always, been into, I'd always been into nutrition. And that was mostly through mixed martial arts, if I'm honest. I'd done a lot of other competitive sports, boxing and other martial arts, football, but no one was ever really giving me advice on nutrition, what we should, should or shouldn't eat before a big football match or, or a fight or something like that. The most I'd really heard was pasta. That was about it. And then I go to a very small setup under a chicken shop uh, in Harrow where I'm training with these guys in this young sport called mixed martial arts. And there are guys there counting the amount of nuts and berries they're eating. They're weighing their food. Um, they were avoiding dairy, which at the time was confusing to me. Uh, there, there were all sorts of things going on, and they were getting very scientific, which then sparked something in me where I started looking at it. So I dropped dairy out. This was way before I even thought about turning vegan. Yep. But it was after I'd been injured for a long time. My body wasn't repairing. Um, mentally, I wasn't in a great place. And all I could really control was what I was eating and drinking. So through my research of trying to get better, I came across a Gary Yorofsky speech that he did to some students at university i think it's titled the greatest speech ever on youtube and the emotions that it stirred up were so strong that i i couldn't go down and then eat animal products from that yeah. point on i went downstairs i filled up a bag of everything in the fridge and freezer everything in the pantry my wife 
went nuts. Uh, I was thought I was crazy, and uh, and I just I, I was crying. I was angry. I wanted to go and find these people that had done what I'd seen to these animals, and you know, hurt them. And I just thought I can't now be a massive hypocrite and be a yep. part of this. And from and from that point, I haven't consumed animal products. And that's continued. I've actually, I, I put out a podcast this morning and I was talking about my choices for my new car. So, you know, I, I do my best not to um, wear any animal products. So I haven't bought a pair of shoes. All the shoes that I have bought in the last probably four years, maybe five years actually, have been vegan. I won't yep. wear Nike. I try to avoid some of these big brands that aren't just bad to animals, but bad to humans and are just not great for the planet. So, yeah, my, my, I would say that I'm very much leading a vegan lifestyle, uh, cruelty free, chemical free as far as I as much as I can. And yeah, and I feel a lot better for it. Yeah. And I guess after seeing all that speech, it makes it pretty easy to go. I can't take part in that anymore. Um, how about when you're when you when you first go vegan? How did your friends and family react to going uh, react to you going vegan? Because sometimes, it, weirdly, people can act in a bad way because it's like I don't know the reason why, but um, even though you're making a a, a change like a change in life that's a compassionate change, sometimes that can rub people the wrong way. You're absolutely right. And I can draw some parallels to mixed martial arts in that it was a newish sport. It was young. And veganism, again, was it's a movement in some respects, depending on how you know, deep you want to get with it. But it's not hugely well understood and recognized. And so I knew from when I was telling people about mixed martial arts that you'd get certain reactions and I'd actually overcome some kind of internal struggles that I'd had with my family about mixed martial arts or cage fighting, as they would call it. Where are we allowed to swear on, on this podcast? Yeah. Well, I stopped giving a fuck what other people thought. And my, I, I was never really getting buy in for my choices about the sport that I was loving. And so I think that helped prepare me for the kind of reaction that I would get when I would tell people about my dietary choices and and other things. Because birthday and Christmas, people would typically buy you clothes. Well, that's off the table as well now. They'd buy you chocolates. Well, well, if you're going to buy me any treats, then you need to make sure that they're vegan treats. So people think it makes things yeah. difficult for them. But that's just the kind of consumerist society I think that we've become. We just have to take a little bit more care about our choices and the decisions we make. And it's not that difficult. But yes, I, a lot of piss taking. At the time I worked um, in the building trade. So I'm the only guy that's following that lifestyle. We go to a cafe. You know, what can I genuinely, what can I order? It's like beans on toast, mushrooms on toast, hold the butter. But then the mushrooms are going to be cooked on the same griddle as all the meat. Um, so then do we go with a jacket potato? No butter in that. I'll just have the, the beans in there. And then apparently I'm eating the rabbit food on the side. So, yeah. And again, you know, I respect my body. So I, I don't drink an awful lot of soft drinks and stuff. So I'll be having maybe a green tea or water or, or a fruit tea. 
this isn't the kind of thing that is that is normal <laughs> on a building site. Um, so yeah, there, there was a lot of stuff. Some people would engage with you in a positive way. They'd ask how you were feeling, why. They wouldn't understand what was going on. So you start enlightening people. Maybe it's not enough to make them make the change, but then you've planted a seed and it makes people question their own levels of compassion. But yeah, this is, it, it was tough, but essentially I'm, I'm doing it for myself and to have a lighter footprint, to be kinder, to be more comfortable with my own decision-making. So as someone who is slightly yeah. older and a bit more self-aware, I'm happy th- with the decisions that I'm making. I don't really push them onto other people. If you want to take a look at what I do and take something from that, great. But I, you have to be careful in how you want to deliver your message. There are times when you can get hard about it and a bit, and it's kind of verging on militant. But otherwise, I, I like the way that I talk about my journey and how I demonstrate being a, a vegan. Yeah, definitely. And what has the kind of been the kind of general reaction from people when they find your find out that you're vegan? Has anybody been trying to debate about it? Uh, debate about it with you? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm learning all the time. I actually had to check myself about the whole B12 argument recently because some people would online, and it's very difficult having these kind of conversations on Twitter, especially the way I am. As you can tell, I I like to talk. Um, so. The, the B12 thing started to rattle me because people would say a diet is fundamentally flawed when you have to supplement. And I started looking into yeah. that and, you know, I'd like to have kids in the future. And I started to also prepare myself for how I would do that. That's something that's come up. You know, if you had a child, would, would you make them follow a vegan diet? Which I think is a bit of a silly question in one way, because it suggests that it's a diet that's not fit for all. But then actually, yeah. if you're sensible about it, the B12 argument, that B12 is not like a carbohydrate that you top up and burn. Actually, if you've eaten meat for a great many years, you create a very good store. And that will probably last you for 10 years or something like that. Um, but if you have a baby, a child who's never eaten meat, where are they going to get that B12 from? And the problem with B12 was, I'm sure you know this, but I'm just going to put it out there in case anyone else is troubling themselves with this whole thing. B12 isn't available to anyone or anything now because our biodiversity has eroded away so badly because of the way we've treated the planet in general. It is something that is in the soil and we're not getting it through plants because our soil just isn't rich in the nutrients that it needs to be. And we're not growing stuff organically what in a wild fashion. Um, the best place that we would probably get B12 actually is something like mushrooms, maybe, just because it's it's around more organic matter than some of the other crops which are grown in more sterilized environments. So, and this is the other thing that people don't realize when a meat eater talks to you about B12, it's very important that they understand that 95% of all b12 supplementation is sold to the animal farming industry so it's the animals that are being boosted with b12 and then we are consuming those animals and as a byproduct we we get that b12 so really 
us supplementing is the same as anyone else supplementing because it's not there in the soil any longer, which is really, really sad. Yeah. But it's made me <clears throat> it's made me think about, you know, eating, not, not washing all my vegetables quite so thoroughly and stuff like that. Just trying to pick up a bit more biodiversity and, and a few safer germs. I'm, I'm not going to go out there, and start eating the soil. Don't worry. But um, <laughs> but yes, I'm, I'm still learning. I'm still learning as a vegan. And I, and I know that I'm making the right choices. Um, but sometimes you just need different levels of of knowledge to be able to equip yourself so when people come at you to try and make you feel bad about your choices you can come back and with an educated response to say actually this is how it is um so no that's that's not really a valid argument and the the diet isn't flawed because we need to supplement everyone needs to supplement that so that's just an example but i yeah. get into it with people they come at me with certain things and normally it just descends into people saying, well, I'm just, I just like a steak. Oh, uh, you know, I'll get over it. Just go and have a burger. Yeah. And, and then it's just lowest common denominator stuff, which I know that they haven't got anything further to add. And I challenge people to do what I do sort of physically and, and with my work, I'm doing more physically and my work is very challenging. I'm still employed. I'm still turning up training. So it's working until that's a problem. I'll continue to make these choices. Yeah, exactly. And actually, I have a, a three year old who's vegan. And uh, it's just one of these things that is, is more, you just kind of learn as you kind of go of what, what they need. And what, like, I guess it's when you first started being vegan, you learn what you what you need so it's just the, yes. kind of the exact same and it's some of the, the, the shit you the shit that you hear from people saying it's like it's quite common and that's uh, you'll hear like it's child abuse to raise your, uh, your child vegan or you're forcing them it's the kind of it's, it's exact same conversations like that you hear like different people you speak to it's always going to be the same sort of shit that they give you um but it's an interesting one now it's it just depends who you're dealing with as well a lot of people just they're interested or some people just want to debate with you so yeah i met with uh, james lightning wilkes who has just produced um a documentary which has come out which uh, now the name escapes me sorry james uh but it's definitely going to be one to watch it was it's backed by james cameron and a bunch of guys that did national geographic stuff on some of the real hard-hitting documentaries that we've seen on netflix over the last couple of years and he made a very good point about talking to people about you know, plant-based diets, veganism, and you have to adapt your argument to according to their age group and maybe even, you know, sex, male or female, because a young 21-year-old isn't worried about heart disease. So if you start giving him that kind of argument, then he's just not going to resonate. So sometimes you have to tweak it according to your audience. And that's, that's, we just have to be smart about these things. Yeah. And I think longer you're vegan, you start to kind of realize that you kind of you notice like what people are interested in you can kind of have that go that down that route if someone's interested about um what goes on in the animal industry like animal agriculture industry that's the way to go if someone's just more kind of focused on their health then you can use the knowledge that you have to kind of speak to them about that side of things um and more time you're vegan more your kind of knowledge just kind of grows and grows um for when you first went vegan what did you feel uh initially did you feel better did you lose weight did you notice any changes on how you felt I did, but it's 
it's almost an unfair thing to talk about because it was exactly the same time that I got given the UFC gig. And that for me was such a life changing or potentially life changing thing to have happen. I was given this new role, which I I didn't know how to be the UFC commentator. I didn't, there were only two people before me that had really done it. No one from over this side of the water. So I was super nervous and I was now exposed to much greater audiences. And again, because I'm so into the UFC, like on a mental level, it was quite challenging. So there's a lot of nervous energy going on at that time is what I'm getting at. And then I changed my diet. So not only am I worrying about my new found role, which is achieving my dream as well, which is brilliant. However, I'm now traveling a bunch and I don't really know fully what I can and can't get away with. I don't know the stores that I should be aiming for. I don't know the cereal bars that I can take to eat to tide me over. And I remember ending up in Las Vegas and Dan Hardy and I, my broadcast partner, were doing like a run through on a show. It's UFC 170. Ronda Rousey was fighting. But on the lead up to that, we were doing a bunch of different stuff, super busy. And someone asked, what do you want for lunch? And there just wasn't anything available from their local sources. So I ended up just getting a box of lettuce leaves and tomato. And that's just it's just not enough. You know, that's that's. That's nothing. And I lost about eight kilos as a result of not really knowing what to eat. Added in, add in, sorry, the um, the nervous energy that I was experiencing at the time and probably not eating because I was so nervous. And I guess there was some bad weight that I was losing as a result of not being a little inflamed. So, yeah, I've put that weight back on. I'm now probably about three kilos lighter than what I was as a meat eater. I'm still pretty active. So, um, yeah, I think I've probably lost about three kilos of unwanted inflammatory weight, shall we call it, which is not a scientific term. I don't know really why I called yeah. it that, but that's that's kind of where I see <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, going into uh, food, is how much has your diet changed, if at all, in the time that you've been vegan? Well, you learn to cheat. That's the other thing. When I first went vegan, I was so strict. Like I'd never ate processed food before being someone who was kind of a weekend warrior and had ambitions of, you know, trying to excel as a, as a combat sports athlete. So I was very, very clean in what I used to eat before. So I wasn't about to start, you know, eating a bunch of snack bars and TV dinners and things like that. But as I've gotten to know the brands that I can, I can eat, as I've gotten to know how to have these quick, cheap meals, these kind of fake nuggets and you know uh, prawn dippers a few pies here and there some nut roasts these kind of things um i don't feel bad in eating that kind of stuff by the way but i didn't start my journey doing it and i do it now because it's fun food and i work hard in the gym on the mats uh i i had spent some time as a triathlete as well a couple of years ago so I know that I'm working it off so I don't feel particularly guilty about it but that's the thing I think I I'm probably a a less (laughs) a less healthy eater in some ways but I'm more creative now because I understand a lot more foodstuffs I certainly understand how to use herbs and spices now um, to flavor the food better and yeah I, I enjoy more time in the kitchen yeah I think that's um, something that most people, 
it happens for most people that is that I think veganism veganism kind of pushes you to be more creative and like get a better knowledge of cooking. Um, what like still on the subject of food, what do you tend to eat in a day? So I start every single day with soaked oats, um, but I pre- I try and pre-prepare as much as I can. So that will be prepared with a bunch of chia seeds um, and some pumpkin seeds. And then I will, and I'll have that with either coconut milk or almond milk. Then I'll add uh, some flaxseed to that and a variety of chopped fruits, medjool uh, dates, apple, raspberries, blueberries, uh, strawberries, and what Oh, and now because of some recent um, research I've been doing into gut health and microbiome, I'm adding a couple of dollops of um, coconut yogurt as well to try and get some live cultures in there. And, and that would be my, that's my breakfast. That's my go-to. Mm-hmm. Every now and then, maybe on the weekend, I'll have like avocado on toast. I'm currently trying out a CBD uh, spread, CBD oil and coconut oil spread, which is made, uh, which is being made oh, by yeah. Raised Spirits Products. He's a Nick Shipshack, who was a, a former Ultimate Fighter uh, guy who's um, is trying this stuff out. It's it's very interesting. It's a unique taste, but I'm trying to get some more like hemp products into my body so I, i'm having that with some avocados some paprika uh, some tomatoes maybe some asparagus and mushrooms on the side but but generally speaking the oats is my go-to then i might have a juice or smoothie um also i will take us rather than supplements i'll have a handful of walnuts brazil nuts cashew nuts and macadamias that's something that i'll have in my breakfast um i'm i've been trying to cut down on the amount of cereal bars and things of that nature this year and i and i've been successful in doing that lunch will typically be this time of year because i'm yeah i'm terrible with seasons so i need warm food i tend to have soups but i might do a stir fry if i can get hold of some really nice ezekiel bread i might have like a toasted Mm -hmm. sweet potato peanut butter sandwich um Again, snacks in the afternoon, maybe like an avocado, some fruit, perhaps, maybe another smoothie. I've also been using Huel, H-U-E-L, yeah. which is a meal replacement shake. They do a bunch of different flavors. So I, again, I, I have that stuff. Um, and dinners can be a, a whole range of things. I, I tend to lean more towards Mexican style food and Indian food. So quite a lot of curries, uh, quite a lot of chilies mixed either with like sweet potatoes or in wraps or on quinoa or maybe some wild rice. Um, Again, this time of year, I'll do a bunch of stews. I I read somewhere about, um, is it lectins on certain beans and legumes? And it could be quite damaging to the body. I don't know how much I believe about that, but I did buy a pressure cooker and I've started to cook a lot of beans and bean-based dishes in the pressure cooker, which is actually quite easy to do. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll try and eat things like that. As I confessed earlier, you might see me eating some Linda McCartney sausages, mash and beans, um, on the odd occasion. Again, fries do quite, uh, quite a good range of kind of fake meats. And I'll have those with sweet potatoes or mashed potatoes, maybe some roast potatoes and, uh, and some vegetables, but 
yeah, we have that. And also my wife likes a good Buddha bowl. So we'll just have a, a one bowl with a bunch of different stuff. Oh, do you know what I've forgotten? Of course, I've forgotten the hummus. How can I forget yeah, the hummus? Yeah. I have yeah. hummus every day. Hummus is, is a snack at some point. Um, peppers are very high in vitamin C. So I typically either um, demolish the pot of hummus with um, a really nice cracker or peppers and or carrots. So there you go. That's pretty much what I'm eating right now. Yeah, and it's, it sounds sounds great. Uh, especially, it sounds a lot better than my... I'm very plain when it comes to my food, so uh, it sounds a lot better than mine. Um, there's a big misconception out there that especially in the sports world that you need to eat animals to optimize performance uh, obviously we know this isn't true because there's so many vegan athletes that are debunking this all the time uh, but what do you think when you hear that i just think that well here, here's my here's my rebuttal because of course that is a question that i've been told quite a few times to be a world champion in any sport you're the top percent vegans are what five percent of the general population something like that so now you're looking for the top one percent in five percent which is so 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 difficult to find so it's an unfair comparison but then let's wind let's wind it back a little bit then and let's just talk about professional athletes or high achievers so you just open up that basket a little bit more and i think what you're now starting to see are world-class or top-level athletes turning to vegan diets or set sorry turning to plant-based diets to fuel athletic performance um people like uh, lewis hamilton i yeah i'd urge people to keep an eye on my instagram because i i was very lucky to speak with a a world-class athlete in the last couple of weeks who has just turned vegan and is doing really well on it. But I can't say who that is yet until the article's put out. But I will share that. And I think a lot of people will be quite surprised. Um, right. I was very proud to have that conversation and, and hear their responses. So, so more and more people are turning towards a plant-based diet and they're feeling that their bodies are less stressed. They're recovering better as well, which is massive if you're an athlete. So it's only a matter of time before we start seeing more people wearing gold around their neck, around their waist, or seeing vegan athletes stand on podiums. But as you and I both know, they're already there. And I think to, to even have a couple of people at that level, as I outlined, in terms of the probability, given the percentages, that's, that's just mad. It's brilliant to see. And it's only going to increase. Yeah, exactly. And as, as I was saying, there's so many vegan athletes out there that are doing such a, a good job uh, reaching like the highest levels of their sports um, I, I thought we could talk about your career and how you've got to the UFC and we'll kind of come back to uh, veganism um, when did you get involved with MMA and how did commentating fights come about for you? So I was a martial artist when I was about seven I think I was practicing judo um, moved away from judo to karate my uncle is now a, like a third degree black belt. So I used to attend classes with him. But then I left that and ended up uh, trying my hand at boxing. So I was doing sort of novice ABA stuff uh, locally whilst I was at uni. But throughout all of that time, none of my friends were really into combat sports. They were always into football. So I got pulled back into football and was playing, you know, 
Hearts County Senior Football for a few years, Saturdays, Sundays and what have you. But then just got a little bit despondent with the politics involved and went back to fight sports in my late 20s. And that led me towards Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Muay Thai. And eventually I found an MMA gym relatively close to home that I mentioned earlier on, underneath the chicken shop in Harrow. And uh, that was probably around 2006, 2007. And I've been, I've been part of the sport since then. I was a participant, but at the same time, I saw how poorly represented the sport was. I would take a look at my coaches and look at the struggles that they faced just to try and lead their best life. And I just thought it was a bit unfair that they were never really seen side by side with other professional athletes. They weren't given the same kind of respect. And that frustrated me because I knew how hard they worked. I knew how difficult the sport was or and is. So an opportunity presented itself after my coach had put on a show in Watford locally. Someone had come down from a TV, a digital TV network and did a bit of backstage stuff, a bit like what Megan O'Levy does for the UFC. But it's actually insulting that I've even put those two in the same sentence. And I was I was actually offended by the work that they broadcast. <laughs> so I I asked my coach who also ran the show. I said, look, I I'd actually spent a little bit of time at the BBC a few years earlier. I had harbored ambitions of being a presenter, but it hadn't worked out at the time. I said, let me have a go at that. He said, we don't really need someone to do that, but we could do with a commentator. That would be quite cool for the guys and the girls to have someone lend a voice to their performances. It would just make it more entertaining to watch it back. So we gave it a go and I would call, I would call fights via a dictaphone that I still have. It's actually on a shelf behind me. And uh, yeah, it just developed from there. I started going and calling more fights. I would train at gyms to try and improve my knowledge of the fighters through my research process. That put me in front of more people. And I think, I guess, no one else was really doing it like that. People saw how keen I was. And eventually, through being taken on by bigger promotions like Cage Warriors, um, I positioned myself with the luck of good timing to be on the radar of the UFC when they were expanding internationally. And now I've been with the UFC, I'm in my fifth year and absolutely loving it. I'm, I'm enjoying being in that seat. And uh, yeah, I, I'm getting further opportunities in, in different sports and doing different stuff now. So new chapters are opening up all the time. Awesome. And you, you do such a good job commentating fights. Uh, you've called some well-known fights in Cage Warriors, notably uh, Conor McGregor fights. He's lost to Joe Duffy and his featherweight and lightweight title wins. Um, thinking back now, did you ever picture Conor McGregor being this huge star that he is now or just another fighter fighting his way to the UFC? I think that even the fight with uh, Duffy back in 2010, I could feel that both Joseph and Conor had, had a different energy about them, but it was way too early to predict you know uh, big big things on a world on a world stage for them both i think when connor had won the featherweight title yeah. i started to get the impression that he really could not just make it to the ufc but go on and do really big things from there but i've got to be honest i i didn't expect as although i knew that he would be a very successful fighter <laughs> i don't think i truly expected him to be the level of celebrity that he is right now and i'm 
it sounds really weird me saying this and I'm sure he'd probably turn his nose up at this but kind of really proud of what he's achieved I've I've been he's the only athlete that has reached those kind of levels that I've seen coming up quite closely and uh, and I I just think it's incredible because my journey yeah. in in that sport of mixed martial arts started at the same time and as much as I feel like I've done very well and I and I've learned to be more proud of my own achievements uh, without being arrogant what he's achieved is just unbelievable and it shows that anyone can do it he's done it I know that he was a special athlete but at the same time he's worked many angles he's made some very good decisions and he's done a terrific job. He's a fantastic case study. Um, and um, I'm, really, I'm really proud of him, of what he's achieved and how he's been able to manage it. Because he's done something in four, five years that people haven't managed to do in 20 years at the highest level of sport. So it's, it's quite unprecedented. Yeah, exactly. And it's, a, it's been such a... Like it's- Watching his, I've been watching his journey for a few years now, and it's just amazing to see. Uh, and you've called some amazing fights in the UFC as well. Another Conor McGregor fight, where he uh, headlining Dublin uh, against Diego Brandao. Um, what was it like being in the arena? Uh, because the atmosphere seemed amazing that night. It is an experience that I don't think I'll ever get to repeat, and it was super unique and just amazing. It is a standout moment in my career. The energy is, was f- phenomenal. That's one thing that people probably don't really understand is the octagon typically is the focal point. The middle of the octagon is the epicenter of the octagon is where all of the thousands of fans in that building are firing their energy, be it positive, negative, but largely UFC events are a celebration of the fighters rather than a whole load of booing particularly in europe so all of that positive energy from those ten thousand adoring irish fans were being was being projected into the octagon and i'm right there i'm by the fence so it's i felt it go through my body and the run that the irish fighters plus gunnar nelson an adopted irishman were on that night i think they were they went seven and oh so it just kept building and Paddy Houlihan kicked them off with the first win. And it just kept going from there. And the fights were really entertaining as well. So it was just this crescendo that was experienced when Connor got the knockout over Brandau and his rousing words in the octagon on the microphone after. It was just perfect. Everything aligned. We talk about flow state uh, with regards to athletics, but there was just like serendipity. It was just unbelievable an experience that i'm so pleased i i I was able to be part of and um i hope i get close to feeling that again because it was just mind-blowing yeah i can imagine it must have been such an amazing feeling um i think you and dan hardy make such a great team and you both call fights and do the uh, onside inside the octagon um what do you think it is that makes you guys work so well together well, first and foremost, I, and I've said this before, I have to respect Dan giving me the opportunity to give my opinion as well, because I've typically come at commentary from a slightly different perspective to what previous UFC broadcasts have been done because of my training background. I'm 
probably I will take more risks when it comes to calling the techniques. Whereas some of the some of my forefathers, if you like, they don't have that mat time, so they might not quite understand the nuances. So they'll they'll focus more on other aspects of the broadcast. So I was. Although I feel like I'm actually following a, a pretty um, conventional line of commentary in play-by-play or lead commentary, it hasn't always been done that way in the UFC because the sport's so young and we, we've been making the rules up as we go along. So I'm, I'm glad that Dan gives me this, the space that I can try and, and add some value in, in that area. But more than that, we, get, we, we just have, we have a lot in common in many ways. And I really respect what he's done. I like him as a as a bloke. You know, we we genuinely get on. We're friends. We interact outside of work time as well. And um, yeah, and I think that just comes through. So we have a similar, or sorry, we have we have the same ambitions for what we want for the sport of mixed martial arts in Europe. We know what the UK and European fans are like, and also what the authorities are like on this side of the water as well. So we know the kind of things we need to avoid, how we need to try and portray the sport. So we, we're tied together in this mission and we, and we go forward unified with, with that in mind. And I think that's why things work, work well, because we're on the same page. Yes, exactly. I think you do work really well together. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, more of uh, Inside the Octagon and more uh, hear more of the fights that you call uh, together. Thank you. We'll wrap up with a, qu- a couple of questions about veganism. Uh, what keeps you vegan? The compassion keeps me vegan, if I'm honest. The health stuff is all very well. And, you know, with, without our health, we, we don't have anything. But I think I'd still try and find a way to to try and even if vegan even if vegan wasn't I'm not saying it was even if veganism wasn't a hundred percent the best diet to follow I would still follow it just because of the compassionate side of things I am now so affected by what we do to animals and what we're doing to the planet with the way that we uh, with our industries that I just, it just doesn't sit well with me. So it would cause me mental health issues, I think, if I had to go backwards. And even now we have the the new sort of, um, oh God, what, what's it called? Uh, the new technology with the, the meat that they're now growing in a Petri dish. Yeah. I don't think that I will consume that meat, clean meat. I don't think I will consume clean meat just because I don't think I need it. I don't, necessarily miss the textures and flavors of meat i just what's more powerful to me is the harm and the cruelty and the suffering so in the early stages i would flash those images across my psyche to pull me back around if ever there was like a smell of barbecues or, or whatever because you know smell is a very powerful sense and it and it can take you back to good times and a lot of the time celebrations are focused around the meal table so you you can get pulled away from the righteous path i never actually did but i would overcome those with just the knowledge of what has gone on to get that animal onto our plates and that is super powerful and therefore i just don't see myself doing a u-turn on this and and then i've done my research into 
the uh, like ethical fashion and things like that. I've still got some ways to go. It's very, very, very difficult to get a cruelty-free suit. Believe me, I've tried and continue to try, but it's so expensive. I found one guy in London that can do it. And obviously, you've got um, Josh Catcher, a brave gentleman in uh, uh, Williamsburg in New York, but it's just super expensive. We're talking multiple thousands of pounds to get a cruelty-free suit. So um, I'm working on that. <laughs> Hopefully, with more demand, those prices will come down. <laughs> but yes, that's that's where I'm at with all yeah. of this. Yeah, no, that, that's great, and um, it's great to hear. Uh, ha- has veganism changed you in any way? And if so, what way? Yes, I've become a more compassionate person for sure, and that goes for all aspects of my life i've become more compassionate to my fellow human because it just opens up more things in your mind you start considering things on a wider level you're not so focused in the pint glass and actually i think it's it's really changed my political views how i would typically vote in an election is now swayed by my ethics and my values so yeah it really has been a a, a 360 assessment of my own well-being my own choices and then i have i've changed where i can and what i've also had to do is i've also been kind to myself with things like when i go out and buy a suit that is made from wool as much as there is an element of guilt what can i do i can't really do a great deal about that because i still have to do my job i feel like i will be able to help the vegan movement and help educate people in a in a positive way if i am doing my job with the ufc looking sharp and creating positive attention a bit like buying an uh, my mac apple are a horrendous company they really are they have nets outside of their windows because they drive their people to want to take their own lives in china that's horrendous but i'm hoping that i will use their technology for good going forward so there's there's a counter argument and a balance a give and a take and i've been kinder to myself but at the end of the day i've you know i'm still on a quest to to polish up the areas where i know i can improve yeah yeah definitely and i think most people will be doing the exact same as well um do you have any advice for someone wanting to go vegan yeah if you've made it if you've made that decision just know that it is it's definitely possible and you're doing something really, really positive. I would, I'm now starting to tell people to do a little bit of research first because I kind of made a, a real snap decision to go vegan and it did work for me, but I guess that might have something to do with my personality type. If people, sometimes people, they turn back when they face a bit of adversity. And if all of a sudden, you're a young vegan. <laughs> uh, and I mean that in terms of the time spent being a vegan and you're, you go on holiday and all of us and you don't know where you can go to eat. OK, download the Happy Cow app uh, is one thing, but you you just don't have enough choices and you start panicking this, that and the other. Maybe if you'd have spent a little bit more time researching the things that you can do. So that you you always you always have that buffer zone of knowledge um, or just supplies, physical supplies, so that you can get through. That will really help you continue your journey. Um, yeah, and 
and surround align yourself with good people i think social media is very good for the vegan community because we can we can befriend lots of people who will help us along and vegans are happy to talk about it <laughs> they're happy to help they it's an exciting new thing for a lot of people like five years <laughs> of vegan isn't a long time but i'm seeing thousands of people that are becoming quite prominent vegan activists and vegan voices who have only been doing it for a year or so uh, sarah jane crawford is a, a bbc radio one extra presenter she's out there you know in front of cameras on breakfast news talking about the vegan movement and she's very very new to it brilliant all power to her by the way i'm not knocking her for it um but i think what you get there is there's a there's a sense of it's a new toy so people are very willing to spill the beans so so you have a lot of that out there right now so don't be scared you will be flooded with information and uh yeah just just go easy on yourself if you slip up don't worry about it look it's not a competition it's people can be judgmental but this is your own personal journey and it's got to work for you so that's the advice i would give and uh, and good luck enjoy it it will bear you great fruits if you'll pardon the pun <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's definitely that's great advice, and I think that is the like the, the advice that most people give when asked that question is research is key. Um, obviously, you're all over social media on Instagram. You've got your own podcast. You've got your own YouTube YouTube channel. But where can people find you on all these different platforms? So I'm largely at John Gooden UK, and that's on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter is where I tend to have conversations with people, but Instagram is where you might find me talking a little bit more about veganism, um, posting food, the obligatory food pics and things like that. So I'm, I'm on Instagram quite a bit. I have started a podcast called The Journey of Discovery with John Gooden, which is a very broad podcast, if I'm honest, but I can't help who I am and being a vegan, fueling my, my life uh, on a plant-based diet is a big part of who I am. So I will be talking to some people about that. I've actually got a, a little documentary coming out on Tim Barnett, who is a, a vegan fighter. I went up to Liverpool. I trained with him. We spent the day. I also spoke with a nutritionist and a, a lifestyle coach called Reese Davies, who's, uh, who's these guys are on another level when it comes to um, veganism. They follow the Dr. Sebi or Sebi diet. So that was fascinating and certainly would be for your audience. I am going to be extending that Vegan Fighters documentary series to Harlem Eubank and Saul Rogers. I'm just waiting for Saul to get back from Canada. Harlem just had a fight, so I'm going to catch up with him in April. I'm going to be do I want to do a lot more in the community. So yeah, please, if you subscribe now and, and give me a follow, I promise I will deliver on this. I'd like to lend my voice to the vegan community in many different positive ways so um the second half of the year i've got more plans to do so i've got a book as well that i've that, that is in the making i need to get the right publishers on board because i want it to have a great impact so watch this space people <laughs> no no that's great uh, i really want to thank you for taking the time for coming on the show i'm a massive mma fan i think you do a great job for the ufc and the mma community and you do a great job promoting a compassionate and cruelty-free lifestyle uh, so i just want to thank you so much for for doing this and i'm really looking forward to seeing what you do in the future 
I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I, I don't see myself in that light, if I'm honest. I'm just a man, um, you know, saying a few words and, and leading leading a lifestyle that, that I enjoy. But thank you. Thank you for letting me tell my story as well. So there we go. That's episode 37 done. I really hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for downloading this episode and thanks to John for coming on the show and sharing his vegan story. Like he was mentioning, you can get him over at Instagram or Twitter at John Gooden UK. He's also got his own podcast, which is The Journey of Discovery with John Gooden. If you're looking to contact myself, just get me over at NaughtyMaltPodcast.com or on Instagram at NaughtyMaltPodcast. It's been a while since the last episode, maybe about three or four months. I've just kind of been taking some time to kind of focus on me for a little bit as I put on my Instagram. I've been kind of going through some tough shit for a while. Um, but yeah, I feel kind of that that little break's done the job. Uh, so I really hope to kind of get back into this and be more consistent with it. And if you if you ever have any suggestions of who you'd like to hear on here, uh, just send me a message on either of those platforms and we can get that arranged. But I really want to thank everybody for sticking with this podcast i know it's always not always been a uh, consistent all the time but i do plan on making it more consistent this year uh, but yeah thanks so much for dealing this episode and for the continued support